thank you for that. It was kind of hard not to start singing along. I don't know about you, but I kind of felt that way. So, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles. I'm, I'm not going to preach from the lectionary reading. I'm going to uh, preach from another passage in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 13, a familiar parable. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 24. So if you have Bibles, or if you are using a uh, device of some sort, you're allowed to look at it for the sermon text and nothing else. You know, their notifications, just blank those out again. Oh yeah, there's some up here, I was told, so. Uh, Before we read, uh, let's bow in a word of prayer. Open our eyes, O Lord, that we may behold wondrous things from your word. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 24. I'm going to be reading from, I don't, I didn't have an NRSV. I know that's the translation you have. I don't have a hard copy of that. So I I do, I like the translation. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. So it might be a little bit different, but they're they're pretty close, uh, these two translations. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, and then bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then he tells a couple of more parables, uh, the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven, and then it gives a little bit of a, a more explanation of speaking, why he speaks in parables. And then jumping down to verse 36, where he gives the explanation of the parable of the weeds. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun, in the kingdom of their father. 
He who has ears, let him or her hear. It's, it's been kind of an interesting, tragic week, hasn't it? And we, we've seen this, uh, well, the buildup of tension, in, particularly in Iran, and then with the shooting down of this, this airliner, and all the questions that come up, what happened? And the, the natural thing, isn't it, is to want to know why. Why did it happen? What, what was the cause? And, and, of course, they're probing, and they sadly have found out more about uh, the missile that shot it down. But we want to know the answer, the why. And in a sense, Jesus here is, in a nutshell, giving through a parable, giving somewhat of an explanation of, of the, the bigger why. Why evil? <laughs> Where does it, well, he doesn't really explain where it comes from, but why is it there and why does it, why does it still exist? And so that's the question. That's the primary question Jesus is addressing in, in this parable. Um, he begins, and it's a familiar parable. I assume many of you probably have heard this before, but it's that parable of the, the, the sower who goes out, and, and he's just done an earlier parable about the sower with the different kinds of soil. And now he has another parable. By the way, the earlier one is in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This one is only in Matthew. And it's the story of the sower who who goes out and sows the good seed. And then an enemy comes and plants, sows weeds, (laughs) bad seed in the midst of that. And then what to do about that bad seed? Do you weed it? That's what any good farmer usually does, right? <laughs> he weeds them out. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was raised on the farm, and we had, uh, we had a big garden, and every day, Gary, go hoe the beans, and go hoe the corn, and go hoe the carrots, you know, whatever. You know, it was always hoeing and pulling out the weeds. But this, this sower doesn't, he says, no, 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 don't do that. Hold off. We'll wait till the end. For some reason, wait till the end. And he gives a little bit of an explanation. But, and then he tells the story in the end, he will take care of it all. So that's the basics of the story. Now, I had an interesting experience this week because I was, uh, a good friend of ours uh, is, uh, uh, recently they, they moved here, but they've lived here in the past uh, off and on. He, he is actually an Israeli from Israel. They just migrated here, but he's done... He's a professor of agricultural botany. And he said his specialist specialization is weeds. I said, well, you're the man I need to talk to about this sermon. Uh, he's not a believer, but uh, yet. Uh, but um, anyway, so I said, I, I, Jesus tells this parable about weeds. Oh, interesting. And so I was telling him about it. And I said, and, and the weed that... This particular weed, apparently, the commentaries will tell you, or maybe your, your, your margin, I don't know, my marginal note has it. It's probably Darnell, they say. But the technical term for this weed is lolium temulentum, if you're into that kind of thing. So I said, I had it written on my, on my phone. I said, this is the name of this weed. Do you recognize it? He said, oh, lolium. Oh, yeah. 
I know that weed. We have it all the time. It's a big pain. He said, because it looks a lot like wheat and you can't hardly tell the difference when they're young and then only when they're fully grown, then you can tell the difference and you have to, and and they're very hard to deal with. And, And so we were talking about that a little bit and he said, but I have a question. How do you know it's that weed? I said, I don't know. The commentaries told me that. And he said, but the problem is with a lot of weeds in, in, he said in Hebrew, in the biblical Hebrew, certainly, this is Greek, but we don't always know which weed it is exactly. I mean, it's not always that precise. And I said, oh, that's an interesting idea. Um, and he said, but I, I don't know, maybe it is, but, um, and, and I'm not so sure it is this lolium. We don't know. God, there's speculation. Maybe it is that weed that looks a lot like wheat, but the problem with that is in the text the 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 guys who go out the servants who go out into the field they do recognize it as weed don't they they can see that it's weed and they know right away and so i'm kind of going okay maybe maybe it was some other kind of weed and then the other thing that the commentaries will often say is the problem with that weed is it, it plant gets its roots and they wrap around the other the goods wheat and then if you pull one out you pull the other and i said is that true he said no he said the only time that's true the only time that's true is if you have an overwhelming amount of the weeds and only a little bit of wheat but then i started thinking but read on if you do read the next parables what are they about The next parables are about a tiny mustard seed. Small, seemingly inconsequential, but growing into a big kingdom. And about a little bit of leaven in a a batch of dough, but it expands and becomes this big bunch of bread. And so maybe there is something to that in this this seed, this weed that comes in. Maybe it it is more weed than wheat, but the future of the kingdom is coming. I I don't know for sure, but that that would make sense in the context of the other parables that are going on here. But the point of it is, this weed was planted by whom? And it doesn't, the first time, it doesn't just say an enemy. It says his enemy. And the Greek is emphatic. His enemy planted or sowed weed, this, this terrible weed in the midst of the wheat. In other words, God's work, God's good work in history is somehow strangely opposed by an enemy. Now, he doesn't tell us where the enemy comes from. And the Bible typically doesn't. It's just there. That, for the most part, doesn't really explain the source of evil, but there is an enemy out there. But what I find comforting in this text is The enemy is not just our enemy, my enemy. First and foremost, I mean, he is that, but first and foremost, he is God's enemy. And God cares about that. He recognizes that there is this enemy and it is first God's enemy. 
Our enemy is God's enemy. And I think that's important to remember. But also recognize what else it says. Just in the previous verse, in verse 24, it's his field. This is God's world. (laughs) The field is the world, right? We're told later on in the text, the field is the world. But this is God's world. And he is the one, in spite of all that going on, in spite of the evil, in spite of what what messes things up, God is the one who's in control. He is over everything. And therefore, what we can know for sure is that the final outcome is certain. God is in control and he will deal with evil. That much is sure. And and justice in the end will prevail in this world. In this world that's, and we heard stories this morning from, you know, these kids and, 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 and the way things get messed up in lives. And we all experience that at various times and in certain ways. And, and that happens. And the assurance of this text is God will deal with that. He will make it right. But there is this reality of evil, right? Evil in the world, the problems and, and, and just bad things that happen in our world. That is the reality. Now, the big debate in church history and, and among different commentators and biblical scholars is, where is this evil primarily? Is he mainly talking about it within the church or out in the world, out there? Most of the church fathers, particularly after Constantine, but most of the church fathers actually say it's, this is a focus on the church. This is when we talk about the visible and invisible church. You know, there's this, there's this body of believers, but within that, there is the, the real believers, but there's some who kind of sneak in. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will, is, is in my kingdom, Jesus says essentially at very, in various places. And, and that's been the predominant view. However, modern commentators re- largely reject that. And they say, no, 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 this focus, this is more about just the world because later on it says the field is the world. So which is it? Is, it, is this primarily talking about evil that exists, coexists within the church itself? Or is it part of the world, just focused on the world and and my my response is yes both i think it's it's both and because and the reason i say that is the clearly the field is the world we're told so it it is part of the broader world and we don't have to look very far (laughs) to see that reality today and all through the ages but at the same time it's interesting that in the text in verse 25 when it says, um, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds. And, and the Greek is very explicit. Bruner in his commentary makes this clear. And he translates it this way. He sowed the seeds right in the middle of the wheat. It's right in the midst, right among the wheat. 
in that sense, it, it, it is almost. You can't hardly tell the difference. It's, it's weeds and wheat growing together. And, and it probably does also refer to the church because it's right here, right in the midst of the, of the very wheat. And it raises the, the whole question of, yeah, why? Why is there so much evil? Why is there so much evil in the world? Why is there evil in the church? And even broader than that, or narrow, I guess, smaller, more, in, more personal, why is there evil in me and in you? As Solzhenitsyn said, the line between good and evil runs through every human heart. And it's not that easy <laughs> to just say that evil is out there. We can't because it is everywhere. It's pervasive. In the midst of the goodness comes this, this evil. And it, I think this really primarily addresses, Jesus is addressing here, kind of another question. You know, when we, we have a lot of, uh, of friends connected with the Jewish community, for example, and whenever, if we talk about Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises of a Messiah, do you know what the immediate response is? Almost always. Hey, wait a minute. If he's the Messiah, where is the shalom? Where's the peace? <laughs> you know, all the, the Old Testament promises say, what do they say? Isaiah, the, the lion's going to lie down with the lamb, and, and it's going to be all great, and, and everything's going to... Peace shall reign all over the earth. And you're telling us that Jesus is the Messiah? Where's the peace in Iran right now? <laughs> and in the Middle East and, and in many other parts of the world? Where? And that is the classic question. And I think, in a sense, Jesus anticipates that objection to his own messiahship, saying, yeah, there will still be issues, problems, evil. God, in his, in his infinite wisdom, and we don't always understand the reasons, but God allows that to happen, to carry on. That, that, that evil that's here. In a sense, we've been warned in advance of the way things are, but we're also assured of what's to come. Well, in that sense then, what are we supposed to do (laughs) as God's people, part of his kingdom in this world as we live? And remember, it's not just his field, it's his kingdom. He's the one doing the kingdom-making project, not us. God is the the one who who makes his, builds his kingdom. What do we do about it? Because the the problem here is, uh, the challenge, I think, for Christians is, when you look at this text, what about those other texts in the scripture that call for radical purity? What about texts that that say, uh, you know, you think of, be holy as I am holy? the challenge to the Old Testament Israelites, and it's quoted in the New Testament. What about challenges like uh, Paul in the, to the Corinthian church when he, they have this evil um, in their midst? And what does Paul say? He says, 
hand him over to Satan. Kick him out of the fellowship. Don't associate, Paul says. Don't even associate with people who are living, calling themselves believers, but living another lifestyle. And so on the one hand, there's this call to this radical purity. Be holy. Be a holy people. Set apart. On the other hand, there's this, at the same time, this call for, like in this text, be patient. Let it be. God does. Judge not that you be not judged. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Don't you try to take vengeance. You don't need to make it right. Take, you know, just relax and be patient. And so which is it? What are we supposed to do as Christians? Are we supposed to be radically pure and holy and set apart? Yes. Are we supposed to be patient? Yes. Jerome, one of the great church fathers, Jerome. Um, of all people, Jerome. Do you know? I don't know if you know anything about Jerome, but Jerome was one of these guys, great biblical scholar. No one could get along with Jerome. He was one of the most impossible characters in church history. He made enemies with almost everyone he met. And if if you weren't his enemy right away, you would be his enemy eventually because he'd find something to argue with you about. And he was radically, uh, you know, wanted people not to be married and, and, and all kinds of issues. And yet it's Jerome who says about this text, God wants patience. I find that shocking. Because he says, God calls for patience to leave room for repentance. Leaving room for repentance. Now, I think finding that balance between the call for purity, which is very real, and yet the patience in the midst, in spite of the evil, is a really challenging one for us. On the one hand, at times, we do need to make a stand, right, against outright sin and call it for what it is. And we need to aim for personal and corporate holiness. That's a given, I think, in the scriptures. On the other hand, there's a real call here in this text that maybe we may mostly need to err on the side of caution in how we deal with the evil around us. Certainly, much of the evil that goes on around and in our midst. You see, I think because the big problem is, it's really easy, and and I I see this a lot, I don't know about you, but today, in our increasingly polarized society, and we see this especially uh, south of the border, in, in, uh, in an intensified way, I think, and I'm from that, part of the world originally, um, it's really tempting to want to see evil over there. Look at those people. And I hear this even in, in, here in Canada. You know, it's, it's uh, something horrific happens or a, a racial uh, hate speech or something, or something happens, and then what's the immediate response is? It's condemnation, and then that's not really us. That's not us. That's not here. That's something out there. It's evil out there. And it misses that point that, wait a minute, we are a mixed community and we're a mixed people. The evil is actually right here. But it's not that easy 
It's complicated. It's not so easy to just say it's all out there and we can just kind of pull back and be these great, wonderful people. Because we aren't, let's be honest. A good example of this is with our our own, for those of you who are from the, the Reformed family community, there are some certain denominations within the more extreme, I guess, uh, denominations within the Reformed tradition for whom, uh, when they celebrate Holy Communion, only a few people actually partake of the communion. It's called closed communion. And it's only certain people, even within the church, are allowed to partake of communion because they're the ones who are deemed pure enough to take it. Now, that's a scary place to go, I think. And this text very much preaches against that, taking that kind of a, of, a, of a radical stance. Because, again, as Bruner points out, efforts to root out evil usually backfire. And you think, need only think of crusades, inquisitions, witch hunts, pogroms, and the like as examples of often God's people trying to root out evil and it just turns to greater evil. And the Bible calls us to patience. Bruner again, on when he's talking about this, and he brings up the example of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, the great reformer, but if you know, know your history, Martin Luther was sort of caught in the middle because on the one hand, he was reacting against some abuses he saw, but on the other hand, Martin Luther was really eventually attacked and condemned by more radical reformers because they felt he didn't go far enough. He wasn't pure enough because he still wanted a broadly inclusive church. And in reaction to that or in response to that, Luther referred to this parable. And he said this. Of course, this is translated, but he said this, quote, the church cannot be without evil people. Those fanatics who don't want to tolerate any weeds end up with no wheat either. Close quote. And so Christ in this story, in this parable, calls us to be a people who are not, don't care. (laughs) Not that we don't care about evil, but we have this kind of, if God is patient, how much more should we be as we, as we aim for personal holiness and corporate holiness and yet being incredibly patient? I find this in the seafarers ministry. You know, I work with guys, um, mostly guys. There's occasionally women, but it's, it's fairly rare. But, you know, they're an earthy bunch, friends. They're, they're great guys, but they're earthy. And, uh, and, and sometimes... It, 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 there's always this challenge. How much do I say, yeah, you probably don't want to do that, or you don't want to go there? And, and what, what point? And, and, and knowing, trying to learn the wisdom of that. Because we also live in this world. And I need to, to challenge them 
and yet in love be patient. And, and that's for all of us. I'm sure we all have encountered that in the world. May God give us grace to be the kind of people who can, who can have that patience and yet also live as God increasingly, more and more as God calls us because his kingdom is growing. And justice will come, friends. Justice will come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder uh, from your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who is the great sower of seeds, good seed, his word planted in our hearts. And Father, I would pray that as we hear these words, we too would be reminded of of your goodness and your patience and challenged in how we are to live as your people, living as people who recognize that evil is in our midst. And with the patience, the wisdom and the patience to know how to counter evil and yet at the same time be patient, be loving, and be inclusive in as much as we are able. Father, guide us in that. Bless your word to our lives as we live and serve you. And I pray for this community too, that they would find ways increasingly of of being your, your kingdom people, living in the midst of a world that is, is surrounded by and filled with so much evil, and yet help us to be faithful, faithful in all that we do, Lord. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.